Good evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. It appears that chaos in the North Carolina General Assembly is the order of the day. It seems that our legislature relishes the opportunity to introduce controversy into every legislative session. In this session, HB 370 has been introduced, and last night the state Senate passed the law, but it now must be signed by the governor, and it would require that every elected North Carolina sheriff fully cooperate with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is ICE, And whenever their officials believe that an arrested person has entered the country illegally, the bill would require that jail administrators allow ICE officials to interview any person within the county's custody upon request in order for it to determine if an ICE warrant has been issued for that individual. If a warrant has been issued, the administrator must take that individual before a county magistrate in order to seek authorization for that person to be held in jail until ICE officials can take them into federal custody. If the sheriff refuses or fails to comply with this directive, the sheriff can be removed from office. Many of the sheriffs in North Carolina who oppose this legislation are African American. This legislation has drawn opposition from many sheriffs, the governor, legislators, civil rights organizations, lawyers, and citizens on the grounds that it is unconstitutional because it imposes federal law enforcement duties and responsibilities on state constitutional officials. It forces the county law enforcement officials to become ad hoc ICE agents that immigration enforcement is a responsibility of the federal government and that it drains the county's budget of funds which are required for regular and legitimate county law enforcement activities. So what's going on? And why is the General Assembly seeking to force our sheriffs to become engaged in immigration issues and concerns? These and other questions will be discussed with our guests tonight as we attempt to dissect and understand this immigration-related controversy in North Carolina. So tonight we are joined by Sheriff Clarence Burkhead of the Durham County Sheriff's Department and Ivan Almonte, a Durham community activist and a partner with the Bull City Lawyer. I want to thank each of you for joining with us to discuss this very important topic. So welcome to the Legal Legal Review. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, let's start with uh, Sheriff uh, Burkhead. Uh, you, 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 you often run it as the uh, new sheriff uh, in uh, in Durham County, and uh, I recall during your uh, election campaign that one of the issues that you uh, talked about was requiring local sheriffs to cooperate with ICE, and your opposition to that, along with uh, the opposition of many other. 
uh, particularly African-Americans who were running for sheriff at that uh, time. So could you, first of all, take a few minutes and kind of discuss with our audience uh, the reasons for your opposition to this uh, cooperation, uh, which was being pushed or promoted uh, for uh, for county sheriffs here in the state? Yes, certainly, uh, uh, Dr. Joyner and April, it's good to be here again with you. Uh, there are a number of reasons why I oppose uh, HB 370. Uh, it is unconstitutional. Uh, I'm not an attorney, but I've done my research and everything that I've researched uh, across this country, all the, the courts have upheld, that it's just simply not something that local law enforcement uh, should be engaging in. There is no federal mandate for local law enforcement to uh, participate in the activities of uh, ICE or Immigration Custom Enforcement. And, and here in, in our district, again, it's a voluntary. So we have the option. And as a sheriff, uh, we have the discretion as to whether or not we want to participate uh, with, this, with, this, uh, with this act. Uh, and I choose not to. Uh, regardless of how I feel about immigration, and no one, no one wants to promote illegal immigration, but it's not the job of local law enforcement to uh, change immigration policy, set policy. It's not what we do. We're in, we enforce the law, and currently this is not the law. So it's just uh, a bad bill that was just passed, unfortunately, in the House on yesterday, uh, and we'll just see how, see how it plays out moving forward. Certainly appreciate the governor coming out in his opposition and, and others as well. So we've got some work to do, but I'm excited about where we are. Now, it's been, I guess, kind of assumed by legislators that uh, this requirement does not add appreciably to the workload of the uh, sheriff department. Can you talk a little bit about what are the responsibilities of the, of the local sheriff? I know that you are a constitutional office uh, in the North Carolina Constitution. It is set out that each county shall have a, uh, a sheriff. So what are some of the things that the uh, sheriff office, is the sheriff's office responsible for doing? Well, that's a good question, and I spend a lot of time uh, having this conversation with people across uh, Durham County and, and, and across the state. The sheriff is the top law enforcement official in the county, and there are 100 counties in North Carolina, so we have 100 sheriffs. It is a constitutional office. We are responsible for security of the courts, security for our judges, uh, both district and superior, we also are responsible for the detention center. And in North Carolina, most sheriffs still have that responsibility. Uh, some of the smaller counties don't, but most do. And in Durham, we have, uh, I'm responsible for our uh, jail. Our population is down, uh, thanks to the good work of our, our uh, new DA, uh, Ms. D. Berry. So that's a good thing. But I, I still have to provide security and services for those who are detained in our facility. Uh, and then we have we we service the community both inside the city limits and the unincorporated area with full complement of law enforcement services. So anything you would imagine, any police department in any city, we do it at the sheriff's office as well. Patrol, traffic enforcement, responding to calls, investigations, et cetera. And the final piece is uh, animal services. 
we do all the animal services, which is almost as demanding as uh, work and patrol. Uh, we have a lot of uh, pets and dog owners and, and pet owners in, in our community, and they need service. Mm-hmm. And we offer a, a host of services, uh, not just uh, going out and, and capturing animals, but we offer uh the chip service and vaccinations, and we partner with some local veterinarians to uh, to make sure our pets are healthy. Mm-hmm. So the sheriff's office does a lot of uh, services. The community offers a lot of services to the community. And we just don't need one more piece that again we're not mandated to to do uh, added to our plate. Okay, and, and and your authority is countywide, notwithstanding the fact that there is a Durham Police Department. You still have countywide law enforcement uh, responsibility. That is correct. And right. and you're paid and your the monies for your operation comes from the county budget. That is correct. Yeah, so yeah. taxpayers in Durham County yes. will have to pay for whatever it is that you have to do. That's right. All right. And, uh, can, and can you talk a little bit about why it is that that um, when it comes to uh, ICE enforcement that would be within the purview of the sheriff's department versus um, say, city law enforcement? Well, that's a good question. Uh, some city municipal police departments have signed on to uh, be partners with 287G, which is, th- that's not what this bill is about. But uh, local law enforcement agencies do have the option if they choose. Again, it's voluntary. Uh, they come to the sheriff's office because, once again, we have the responsibility of the detention center. And and one of the things in this bill that's troubling is uh, ICE would like to have access to our detention facility. And, again, that's not something I'm willing to give up. Uh, the citizens in, in Durham who voted me in are not willing to give that up. So ICE has been uh, focusing on sh- sheriffs for that reason. And l- let, me, let me also take a moment to clarify something. We already cooperate with all of our federal partners. Uh, if any person, any person is arrested for a felony or a DWI, that person is booked into the facility, automatically they're fingerprinted and those prints are loaded up into the national database. Every law enforcement agency in the country has access to that. So for Representative Hall of Cleveland County to say, we just want the sheriffs to pick up the phone and call ICE and let them know that this person's in the jail is a waste of time, and it's, it, it's an antiquated way of thinking of how we cooperate. We cooperate on so many levels right now that that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So to say that we don't cooperate with our agencies with some of the things I've heard last night is just incorrect. Yeah, and we're going to get into that. Uh, let me go to uh, Mr. Almonte. Uh, can you kind of talk to our audience about uh, some of, of your work and opposition uh, to uh, this uh, local in- law enforcement involvement in the uh, ICE campaign of uh, deportation? Yeah, um, as an immigrant, as a community organizer for many years in Durham, I would say 20 years, um, helping the immigrant community, especially Latinos, how to navigate the system it has been really tough for us just to, even though, like, uh, look at the courthouse as a place where it's not safe for us. Um, for us, was enough 
with the previous administration, I'm talking about the sheriff, that we were not able to have a good relationship because uh, they were not, um, you know, they were not willing to come to the community, have honest conversations about what was going on in our neighborhoods. So when we heard someone, a person of color was running for the sheriff, that was a hope for us. And then we approached him. We we had those honest conversations that, you know, it's enough for our families to be afraid every single day. Just because you are driving with a license, that's pipeline to deportation. So I work with many families that they were like uh, torn apart just because this collaboration in Durham. And my work was used to share this with non-immigrants. And they were like, oh, is Durham doing this? And I was like, yes, it's happening every single day. But people were not realizing that we had someone in office that was just deporting people. So people were, uh, immigrants were taken from the courthouse, arrested there. And we have this specific case where a parent who was charged for a DWI um, took the 12-year-old boy to the court and because he was kind of afraid to be, you know, removed from, you know, from or torn apart from the family. So what happened, I was already, oh, and a nice officer was already waiting for him at the courthouse. So what happened, it's, uh, I speaking up, the 12-year-old boy was there by himself, and he called his mom and said, Mom, my dad has been taken from the courthouse. And and, and she she just started crying, and she was like, I'm I'm at work. I need to send who who's with you. I'm like, and he was like, the attorney left. He let me here. I don't have I don't know what to get home, or who can help me. But it was terrible seeing my dad taken away from me, and I don't know what to do. So he was crying, right? So they called they called me for support, and I, I couldn't believe that this this was happening in Durant. So. That wasn't acceptable. That's we as immigrants, we uh, put a lot of efforts and to have these conversations with all these elected officials that who were running for office because we were like, we don't want more families to be torn apart just because someone is collaborating with immigration. And then families, they don't have legal, I mean, legal resources or they don't have the financial aid for all these, you know, after you've been removed from this country, Families need uh, financial aid. Kids are, like, traumatized, and it's just, it just terrible. Okay, now, you, you, you talked about the uh, bad relationships that existed between uh, members of the Latino uh, community and, uh, and law enforcement. What is the uh, practical effect of those bad relationships in terms of uh, law enforcement services being provided uh, to uh, members of uh, the Latino community? Well, you know, uh, in my experience, um, there have been law enforcement that they don't, they might have meetings with you, but they don't want to listen. If they listen, at the end of the day, they don't want to do what is best for the community. I met uh, one time with uh, the previous sheriff, and he was like, no, I'm doing what is best for the community. And I asked him, have you met with family affected? Or you met with all these people who already have a status? They are like, you know, high-profile Latinos. And those conversations what uh, he had is with those Latinos, not with the families affected. And I asked him, have you been in those neighborhoods where all these, you know, uh, 
families live when immigrants, because we have a lot of newcomers and accompanied minors that they're still in deportation proceedings. So I think a lot of people, they don't have those conversations with the most affected families. So that's the problem. But I mean, I'm really glad and I really appreciate this new administration because since he started working uh, and the new uh, as a sheriff, we have been doing a lot of things together with the community. So it's it's just a pleasure to work with uh, with the sheriff. If if I may, just a follow up. We we've seen an increase of dialogue since since I've been in office with with our immigrant community, particularly uh, working with Ivan, and those individuals are are now beginning to trust us enough to call us when they're victims. Uh, so we can we can really assist them. Uh, they're calling us when when crime is occurring in their neighborhood, uh, whether it's uh, local drug sales or gun violence. We're starting to see uh, relationships being built where we can combat crime that impacts all of Durham, particularly their community, where in the past uh, that has not always been the case. Okay. So that that. Uh, step in the right direction. All right, this is the uh, Legal Eagle Review, and tonight uh, we're talking with uh, Sheriff uh, Burkhead and Mr. Uh, Ivan uh, Amante about the uh, crisis uh, surrounding uh, ICE, the uh, uh, Immigration and Custom Enforcement uh, Agency of the uh, federal government. We're going to take a break uh, right now. I want you to uh, stay with us as we uh, continue uh, this dialogue. Since 2010, the North Carolina Central University School of Law has been at the forefront of virtual legal education with the launch of its Virtual Justice Project. The Virtual Justice Project is an innovation in legal education and technology. NCCU School of Law pioneered this approach to address the underrepresentation of African American lawyers and a lack of access to justice for low income and marginalized communities. Virtual pre-law courses prepare students, wherever they are, for the rigor of law school. The Know Your Rights series offers legal information sessions that empower participants to understand the law and to promote self-advocacy. Both the pre-law courses and the legal information sessions are made possible through telepresence and high-definition video conferencing. Course listings and contact information, along with more detail about the Virtual Justice Project, are on the NCCU Law website at law.nccu.edu. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review where we are discussing the uh, crisis with uh, ICE enforcement in uh, Durham and in North Carolina. And uh, recently uh, enacted legislation in the uh, North Carolina General Assembly, which would uh, mandate that uh, the uh, local sheriffs, and there were a hundred of them uh, in the uh, state of North Carolina, uh, now uh, cooperate uh, with uh, with ICE and the uh, difference being uh, not that they have not been cooperating, but now that there is a mandate that a part of the duties of the uh, sheriff department is to uh, become 
ad hoc employees of ICE and then to allow uh, this federal agency to intrude upon the uh, operation of the uh, detention centers uh, in our various uh, counties, all at the uh, expenses of the uh, citizens in each uh, in each county. And uh, so that's our focus uh, this evening. And a lot of people, I think, don't don't really understand the work of ICE and what ICE is supposed to do. So, Sheriff Burkhead, can you kind of give us uh, some education about what ICE is and uh, its powers and authorities and its relationship with uh, law enforcement in uh, at the state level? Yes, certainly. ICE, or Immigration Custom Enforcement, is a branch of the Department of Homeland Security, and they are responsible for the enforcement of federal immigration laws, whether it's at the border or whether it's uh, in cities like Durham, uh, New York, uh, all across the country. Uh, Their mandate, unfortunately, under the current administration in Washington is to uh, be very aggressive in enforcing immigration law, but doing so by conducting conducting raids and roundups in communities of uh, suspected uh, illegal immigrants, uh, and that's their sole responsibility. and And I understand that they have a job to do, and and uh, can appreciate the efforts that they put in day in and day out, and the the good men and women who work for ICE. Uh, but here in North Carolina, uh, as I spoke. Uh, earlier, it's just not something that local law enforcement is required to do. It's always been a voluntary program, uh, including 287G, which is a voluntary program. Uh, so for us to be mandated to do the bidding of ICE, uh, like you said, a de facto ICE agent, is just something that I'm not willing to to compromise on. I, I, I campaign against it, and I'm going to stand my ground. Now, unfortunately, if this law passes, as sheriffs, we're going to enforce the law, but we're very optimistic that the governor will veto it and we'll be able to sustain that veto. Can you talk about, uh, as far as the, the bill and, and if it becomes law, which we hope it, it does not, um, what are the consequences if it does become law and a sheriff chooses not to uh, follow that mandate? What are the consequences outlined in the in the bill? Yeah, unfortunately, some of the language that they've put into this bill uh, really threatens the institution of the sheriff. It begins to erode the powers of the, sh- the sheriff. And it states that a sheriff who fails to comply can be subject to removal from office by a superior court judge. And we could be uh, levied with civil penalties up to $25,000 per day for failure to comply. And to me, that, that's unprecedented. Uh, has never happened, uh, in my knowledge, of the North Carolina Constitution where uh, you're now threatening a constitutional officer uh, with civil penalties and removal for for not following the law. I also suspect, April, that this, this bill is so full of unconstitutional language that it will be challenged. Uh, so I suspect we'll be having conversations for months and perhaps years to come uh, about this bill, should it should it become law? Well, let me. Is, is a violation of the immigration law a crime in North Carolina? No, it's not, and and that's a very good question. Um, illegal immigration is not a criminal offense. Period. It's a civil 
offense. It's a federal. It's a violation of federal civil uh, law, federal civil statute. Uh, so no, uh, coming into the country illegally is not a criminal matter, uh, and therefore that's why you know crimes are based and warrants for arrest are based on probable cause. Uh, I've asked uh, ICE and I've asked representatives to base these warrants on probable cause, send me a warrant signed by a judicial official that is based on probable cause, and we will hold them all day because that's binding, that's legal, and that supports the Fourth Amendment. An ICE detainer is signed by an ICE agent, a law enforcement official. I can't sign a warrant. I can't I can't create my own warrant and go out and arrest anyone. So that's not a court order. No, sir. That directs a, that a particular person be uh, uh, arrested and kept in jail, and you cannot go to prison for a uh, an immigration violation. N- not normal prison. Right. <laughs> you, you can go to a deportation yeah. center, which, well, is, which is different. Which, which is, is different. different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So you're absolutely correct. Right. Not Pris- based prisons, on prison. Prisons result from a person having been convicted of violating a criminal statute. In a court of law. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. Now, Mr. Almonte, what are the, the, the requirements or the circumstances uh, under which a person is uh, deported uh, from, uh, from, from this, co- this country? Uh, in particular from somewhere like Durham, uh, what is it that uh, that the person has to do that would uh, violate their immigration status? Well, that's a good question because I was at the Senate last night and I was just listening to all these uh, senators that they don't really know our community and they don't understand that eyes break their own rules. They, they have protocols and they don't care. And I have seen videos. I have... Uh, talk to families who were affected. So uh, when they say they cannot break in or they cannot open open the door or they cannot do but they have done it. But because the families are afraid to record, they will not have, uh, you know, evidence that they did such a thing, you know. And we, I know friends that were removed from these countries because they were driving with a license. And because they were not, they didn't have any status, that means they were here illegally they were removed from the country. So uh, also, like, uh, drinking and driving, and I believe no no one is possible. you know? I think we believe that every single person has the same rights and opportunities to go to the same process. And just because you were drinking and driving, and then you will be removed from the country, right? So it can be anything. We have cases. I'm working with victims of a crime, and I have seen how when law enforcement arrive to the scene, like sometimes they take uh, the mother of uh, two kids, right? Because they were not, I mean, it happens a lot of things, you know, at, at the scene. So, you know, like they, ha- they have been removed, uh, women have been removed also from detention centers because, <clears throat> excuse me, they were the uh, aggressors or whatever. So, you know, like. The, so now a lot of victims of a crime, they don't want to call the police because they're afraid to get into all these, you know. Basically, they're coming out of the shadows because they will have to provide a lot of personal information and they have to cooperate with law enforcement. So that's the biggest fear that now they're, uh, you know, our community is mm-hmm. facing right now. Well, let, let, let's let's take the example that, that you use of a person who is uh, driving under the influence and is stopped by a uh, a police officer for driving under the influence. 
How does a police officer know that that person is uh, in the country illegally? Well, I mean, there have been cases where our community, they are just so afraid just when they have been approached by the, by the law enforcement, right? So some of them, sometimes they have, uh, they make mistakes and say, you know, I'm sorry, um, I don't have a driver license. So they start like, you know, sharing information that they're not supposed to because they believe at some level they're still collaborating with immigration. So it, it's up to the officer to use their discretion to say, okay, you know, okay, I will take you to the detention center or give me your identification or whatever you have, you know. So they have been situations where also like um, they, uh, they, they provide all the information that they're supposed to like you know i'm from mexico you know and things like that so it's just like um like i will say alamance county one of my friends he was removed from the united states because uh he was he went to a gas station and then the sheriff uh followed him and he didn't have a driver license he was taken to the detention center and he was removed from there and this happened five years ago. Okay. And, you know, on that point, in terms of, you know, the officer seeing him at a gas station and then following him, it, it seems to me that if this, I mean, there's already concern oh, yeah. about abuses. There's already concern about profiling. If this bill becomes a law, uh, do you and, and individuals within your community fear that um, they will be profiled even more? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, last week uh, when... The president posts about the the ICE raids that he will conduct and the mass, mass deportation. So um, our community was like just freaking out all over social media because they were like, "Wow, now what are we gonna do?" You know, like we have these uh, HP three seventy that in my past, but also uh, twenty minutes from here, which is uh, uh, Alamance County, we have a detention center now and. Our families, they go to the flea market every Saturday and Sunday. So now everybody's talking not to go to Burlington, that they say, you know, Burlington, because racial profiling, is it's every single day for us. Just because you're a person of color driving with a license or just because you're Latino, well, for these people, everybody's Mexican, right? But, I mean, they will pull you over for no reason. And I, that's why we are uh, educating the community. You know, now it's they need to... Uh, be aware of what's going on in Alamance County. And that's, I mean, it's just insane how terrifying the community every single day, like, oh, okay, so we're going to delay the protection, so be ready in two weeks because we're going to, you know, we're going to go to your neighborhood. So it's it's just insane. Like, you can so, feel. So the situation that, that exists is that, and this is kind of following up from April's point, that if you look like a Latino uh, you can expect to get stopped by a uh, by, by by a law enforcement official, you yeah. know. And and from that, I want to just go back to uh, Sheriff Burkhead on, on on the same point of what is the regular protocol uh, where an officer under your command stops a person for uh, for for some traffic violation and find that that individual does not have a driver's license. What is the normal way that that stop is processed? You know, every stop is different. Uh, so the officer has discretion to deal with uh, each situation like that 
on an individual basis. Normal protocol, if you're stopped for, let's say, running a red light, and the officer pulls you over and determines that you do not have a driver's license or your driver's license is revoked, that normally would result in a citation being issued. Uh, And if the situation escalates, then the officer does have the discretion to take that individual uh, to a magistrate to issue a warrant. Uh, So normal protocol for traffic infractions uh, is a citation. Yeah, And, and, And many of these ICE situations develop from traffic stops. That is correct. Yeah. The, the the caveat that I'll add that uh, let's take it to another level, like like Ivan mentioned, if if a person is arrested under for driving under the influence, and now that's an arrestable offense, mm-hmm. that person goes to uh, the magistrate begin process. If we are unable to determine their immigrant status by law, already on the books, 162-62, we're required to upload that information into the database that I mentioned earlier. But you're required to do that if the person is arrested anyway. Correct. Yeah. 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 Uh, But again, the discretion, the threshold is based on the severity of the infraction. Mm -hmm. DWI and felony arrest are automatic, but any other traffic offense, there's discretion there. And so with this bill, if it becomes law, then you have these traffic stops that will also require law enforcement to do what? Do We'll treat every stop like a felony stop or a DWI stop. This, this bill would require any criminal violation to be treated like a felony or a DWI, and, and the information would be uploaded uh, if we cannot determine immigration status. Well, so then, any any infraction. Correct. Yeah, but but you know, let me just, mm-hmm. I want to just 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 in terms of clarity, it requires that any stop be treated as a felony if it involves a person of Latino origin. That is correct. Yeah, because if it was a a, a, a white person That's or correct. some person, who, then it would be the regular protocol. That is, that is correct. Yeah. That so is correct. so then what you do now is you create. Uh, an expectation that uh, and an anticipation that if this is a Latino, then that person is going to go to jail. That's correct. Whether they are illegally here or not. Or not. That is correct. Which just goes back to this whole issue of profiling. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. It's yes. like, you you know, uh, you see anyone with brown skin, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be stopped. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've been pulled over before. And last time was in 2010 for no reason. And the person, uh, the officer was in front of my apartment, and I don't know why he was doing there. But as soon as I entered to the uh, to the to the road, like he just turned the lights on, and I was, and it was ten o'clock in the morning, and I was like, uh, "What do you pull me over?" And he was just laughing. It was a white officer, and he was uh, he started speaking in Spanish. I was like. I'm sorry, sir, but this is disrespectful. I'm bilingual, and I don't know what, you know, because he was like, amigo, and blah, blah, blah. But, and it was in the neighborhood where 90% of residents are immigrants. So that was a common thing for him. But I, I report him because that's a, was, that, that was unacceptable. That's the reason that uh, our community, they're not, they're not, um, they don't feel like calling the police for anything, but sometimes it's necessary. But with those with these bills and all these ice rates, I mean, the trust is just, I don't know where what is going to happen in two weeks, okay. honestly. Now, if, if, a, if a person is detained and, uh, well, we're going to have to take a break uh, right now. And, and we're talking about uh, the uh, 
controversy in uh, North Carolina with uh, ICE, ICE enforcement and the deportation of people who may be in the uh, country illegally and a recently imposed mandate by the uh, North Carolina General Assembly uh, that uh, our sheriffs uh, uh, must cooperate with the ICE officials in the uh, detaining and uh, enforcement of immigration laws uh, in this uh, in the state. Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. I want you to stay with us as we continue this conversation. The Center for Child and Family Health was founded in 1996 as a consortium of North Carolina Central University, Duke University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the Durham community. Since that time, CCFH has become a national leader in research, training, and the treatment of childhood trauma. The mission of CCFH is to care for children and families affected by abuse, neglect, and other forms of trauma. Its professionals utilize a multidisciplinary, measurable approach to provide prevention services, treatment for children and families, professional training, and research related to childhood traumatic stress by uniquely integrating community-based practice and academic excellence. Its vision is that every child has the right to be loved, nurtured, and safe. As a center of excellence, CCFH strives to define the highest standards in the prevention and treatment of childhood trauma. In this way, stability and hope can be restored for children and their families. Information about the Center for Child and Family Health is at 919-419-3474 or the Center's website at www.ccfhnc.org. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. We are talking with uh, Sheriff uh, Clarence Burkhead, uh, the uh, Sheriff of uh, Durham County, and uh, Ivan Almonte about uh, the uh, ICE enforcement and uh, recent enacted uh, legislation uh, in uh, by the General Assembly uh, to mandate uh, that our sheriffs cooperate with ICE in the enforcement of uh, immigration uh, laws. Uh, Sheriff Burkhead uh, indicated uh, earlier that uh, an immigration violation is not a criminal offense in, uh, in North Carolina, nor is it a criminal offense under federal law. Um, if it's not a criminal offense, why are people placed in, in jail? That's a good question. Uh, the only way that someone uh, can enter my facility for an immigration violation is if they are under a federal warrant issued by a judicial official, perhaps served by a U.S. Marshal, or if that warrant is served by an ICE agent. Uh, but again, a detainer is uh, is actually has no 
basis for arrest. And there have been several courts across the country that even suspect or have ruled that ICE is overstepping its own authority at the federal level. Uh, but it's ha- I think there's a lot of confusion around ICE and federal uh, detainers and because they, they'll use terms such as a warrant to detain or a, uh, a legal document to detain an individual. But if it's not based on probable cause, I, I'm always going to follow the Fourth Amendment, Dr. Joyner, and mm-hmm. a warrant to me has to be based on probable cause. And uh, s- that is simply not the case with these ICE detainers. But unfortunately, hundreds of individuals are being locked up and detained on those uh, documents as we speak. Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting as you read through uh, the uh, legislation that there is a provision that says that uh, a local law enforcement official can't be held civilly liable for violating the rights of uh, people in this detention uh, process. Uh, and it uh, suggests some prior knowledge that what is being proposed here does violate uh, the, uh, the the Constitution, but they're trying to provide some cover uh, for people in other states, but uh, uh, in other counties uh, to do that. Uh, Mr. Almonte, you, you talked about uh, a situation earlier where a, uh, a youngster accompanied his father to, uh, to court, and uh, the father, I assume, was, uh, was illegally uh, in, the, uh, in the country and was picked up by ICE. And the uh, 12-year-old, I think in this instance, was then left at the, uh, at the courthouse. Is there any effort made by ICE to inform family members that a member of the family has been detained or is being held uh, by ICE and what the uh, protocol would be for that person to either uh, be released or be processed through uh, whatever procedure is in place? Well, to be honest, they don't care. A person can be missing two days or three days, and they will uh, ha- they will give access to uh, whoever they arrested to make a one-minute phone call to the family, sometimes th- up to three minutes, but sometimes they don't care. They've just been driving around with all the inmates and uh, detainees, and, and those can be the situations. We wish that they will give enough time for uh, so they can call their families to talk about possibly to hire an attorney and all the emergency things that they need to talk because once they find that out, the fa- when, once the family find that out, like, so, uh, their loved one has been arrested, it's just like they had to deal with a lot of legal stuff, right? Even a lot of families, they don't even want to have those conversations over the phone because they be like, oh, if somebody's listening to the conversation, what should we be talking about it? Like, oh, don't tell them that I'm also undocumented. Don't tell them that, you know, that you cross the border. Things like that, you know? So they're just afraid. That's what they look for um, extra support from the community. And, and it can be attorneys, but also it can be organizations or uh, organizers that will make those calls for them. Also, visitations, that's a big issue, right? You know, they don't want to even, like, go to the detention center because they are afraid that they would just encounter ice there, just being walking around. So 
It's just like it makes it hard for the families because they just want to avoid to have any contact with law enforcement. It's just like putting the wall saying, you know, don't call me because I'm afraid that they will come back and pick me up because now they know where where I'm where, where I live, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. Mr. Almonte, can you talk a little bit about why it is that those who are not members of um, the Latino community should should really care about this issue and, and how what happens within your community affects all of us? Yeah, um, that's a good uh, question or a good comment that last night I was at the Senate and I, was, I met this African-American woman that she was, I don't know, for, I was behind her and she was there used to support her son. Uh, uh, he was on the floor with all the senators and he was taking pictures and she was just like, her happiness, it was just like, whoa, what's up? You know, tell me, why are you so happy? So we're having a conversation and then I made the question, so do you know where all these Latinos are here? And she was like, honestly, I don't know what's going on, but what's happening, you know? So I shared all this information and she was just freaking out like, I was like, I didn't know about detention centers. I didn't know about ice rates. How families being removed from? I was like, she was just like getting it, and and then uh, it was good for me to share because she started looking at all these detention centers. So she was researching uh, on uh, on you know online, and he was like, "This is insane! I can't believe that we, as a community, we don't know." So you know, creating awareness that was one of the things uh, when Berger was uh, uh, you know running for the sheriff because. We went to every single place that he was, you know, talking to people. And we're like, for us, it's so important just to share stories with uh, non-immigrants. And we were talking about this experience, you know, going to the courthouse. Uh, two people were arrested outside of the courthouse. Uh, they arrest people at the probation office and just all these places. So the community were like, I can't believe Duran is becoming like this. And yeah, so we were like, that's why we need a new sheriff in Duran. So sharing stories is so powerful because a lot of people, we have something in common in communities, especially communities of color. So that was really uh, a good experience. But also, like, for us right now, we believe and we understand that the HP 370 is just about the new shares. Mm. It's about race. It's not about immigration. They're just using the immigration issue just to make it harder, you know? And they're attacking both communities, so... African-Americans with the sheriffs and Latinos or immigrants by conducting ICE raids. That's, that's what we believe. Okay, Sheriff Burkhead, won't you, you know, because you, you, you were one, you are one of the uh, uh, eight uh, African-Americans who were elected during the uh, 2018 uh, campaign. And, uh, and I note that of uh, the more vocal uh, opponents of uh, HB 370 uh, are those uh, individuals, uh, uh, McFadden and uh, uh, out of uh, uh, Wake County Sheriff, uh, Baker, uh, Baker uh, out of uh, Mecklenburg, out of uh, Buncombe, uh, and other places. Can can you talk about the, the, the racial aspect of uh, of this and the focus now uh, on the uh, what they call the urban sheriffs and uh, what the urban sheriffs uh, are doing uh, in, with respect to this uh, immigration issue. 
Well, over the past several months, we we certainly feel, and when I say we, uh, the major county sheriffs, because uh, when we take offense to being <laughs> called urban sheriffs and uh, sanctuary sheriffs, and uh, it, it's just it, it's unfortunate that uh, members of our legislature have resulted resorted to call name calling but we are the major county sheriffs in north carolina when you when you think about uh, mecklenburg buncombe forsyth wake durham guilford uh we're the we're the big boys and uh an unprecedented event that electing eight african americans uh to, to to sheriff in these counties it's a wonderful thing uh so I'd like to go back to April's point about why should everyone be concerned about this. Uh, and Ivan just said it. It's attack on the office of the sheriff. Uh, and t- it, to me, it, it, it's racial. Uh, this has never happened before uh, and before all the new African-American sheriffs were elected. And the name calling certainly has a uh, racial uh, overtone. But more than that, this is a humanitarian issue. This this. Today is the Latino community. Tomorrow is our Liberian community, uh, or it's our Haitian community, or it's our black community. Uh, so to me, this is a humanitarian issue that needs to be talked about, needs to be highlighted. Uh, and then to go so far as to attempt to pass legislation to make a sheriff do something that is in direct contrast to uh, current laws and the Constitution, to me, uh, sets us up for a humanitarian issue, uh, much like we, we saw in, in the 60s. Yeah. And, so, and, and, I, and I think that members of our audience need to understand that uh, Latinos are not the only ones who are in the country uh, illegally. You know, uh, it could, could be some of your, your grandchildren, uh, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins. And uh, so uh, that, that is correct. Yeah, don't, don't, don't think, well, they might be uh, profiling mm-hmm. uh, Latinos. They're also profiling African-Americans, right. you know, and, uh, and, and, and the result is, uh, is pretty much uh, the same. Now, there has been opposition by the governor uh, to uh, HB uh, 370. And uh, based on that opposition, there is speculation that even though the uh, House and the Senate uh, have passed uh, the bill, that the uh, governor uh, will refuse to uh, to sign it. What's your thinking about that? Well, I think that's a, a, a real possibility, and I, I was very, very happy yesterday to uh, to hear that the governor came out in opposition, uh, being a, the former attorney general. He understands the law. He understands the Constitution. I think his his comments were on point when he said it's an unconstitutional bill. Uh, I'll add that it's an overreach, once again, of government uh, to decide how we uh, we as sheriffs enforce the law. So uh, we've had conversations. We're very uh, optimistic that the governor will veto it. Uh, and that we, the Senate and the House will be able to sustain his veto. Uh, and that's, I think that's our last play uh, because it has been pushed through both the House and the Senate at this point. Uh, so it's up, up to the governor. And let's make no mistake, uh, this is going to be a wedge issue in 2020. They're trying to uh, put our governor in a corner. Uh, it's going to be a wedge issue at the national level. 
Uh, we've heard the comments of the current administration are talking about the raids and how he's going to remove millions of illegals. Uh, so there's there's much, much more at stake here than uh, trying to tell the North Carolina sheriffs what to do. You know, the other thing that it, it will affect when we think about the um, the target that the immigrant communities are facing is when we think about the census, the 2020 yes. census. And so if you are already concerned about law enforcement and then you've got the North Carolina General Assembly pushing this legislation, um, you know, God forbid it becomes law, uh, then you're going to have people that are going to go underground, even those that may be here legally because they're concerned about their family members who may not be. And so the implications of this are are incredibly far-reaching. Sheriff, when you were talking about this being a humanitarian issue, and you talked about this a little during our first segment, um, but can you talk a little bit more about whether this, if this were to become a law, um, would facilitate your role in protecting the community? Well, it would certainly uh, hinder my role. Uh, again, because right now, my, my focus since becoming the sheriff and, and throughout my law enforcement career has, to, has been to build those relationships where all community residents, all residents feel safe, uh, feel welcome. This bill will certainly uh, set set those efforts back. Uh, and again, when I was campaigning, and, and I do on a regular basis now, travel all across Durham County and, and touch every community. And it's not just a Latino issue. It's not just a Hispanic issue. Uh, I've had great conversations with our Liberian community, which most people don't realize we have a significant Liberian community in mm-hmm. Durham. They, too, could be impacted by this. Uh, so I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about how we go about the business of protecting our neighborhoods across Durham County if such a bill were to pass because crime's not going to go away. We still have a significant issue dealing with gun violence. We still have robberies and home invasions. and the police can't be everywhere. You, you all know that I'm a student of Sir Robert Peel. The community are the police and the police are the community. We need their approval to do what we do, but we also need their assistance. Uh, and bills like this just break down those relationships and really um, handcuff us, for lack of a better term, uh, from doing our job and, and, and working with community members. Yeah. And, I, and I think that we need to, to reiterate uh, time and time again, to people in our communities uh, that uh, an immigration violation is not a criminal offense. Uh, And if it is not a criminal offense, then it ought not be something that uh, law enforcement uh, is having to deal with as a criminal offense, but rather as a civil matter. And typically civil matters are dealt with in a kind of a a process-serving capacity. Uh, by uh, our sheriff uh, department because that is one of the responsibilities of the sheriff is to uh, serve processes. And uh, so, but but people kind of confuse the two. My other question, though, has to do with why is there there a detention center in uh, Alamance County uh, as opposed to uh, Wake or or Durham County? Well, it's been... Very well publicized that the, the Sheriff Johnson, who's the sheriff in Alamance County, uh, 
is a is a supporter of 287G. Um, uh, he signed on as a as a 287G agency. Uh, he's a supporter uh, of uh, uh, HB 370. Uh, I, I do call uh, Sheriff Johnson a colleague. He, he is he is a colleague, uh, but we we differ. But here's the beauty of our Constitution and the way it's written. He can do that, and the way he chooses to enforce. Uh, his rules and regulations in Alamance County do not infringe upon the way I choose to do the same here in Durham. That's the beauty of where we are right now, according to the North Carolina Constitution. Um, so he's been very vocal. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, his his board of commissioners gave him uh, approximately $3 million to continue these, this effort. Um, I wish my board would give me three million dollars, but not to <laughs> not to participate in in ice raids. Uh, but but yeah, so he and his detention facility have opened themselves up to to cooperate with ice uh, fully, and that's that's his choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and it must be said that uh, that 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 in Alamance County, they are being paid by the federal government yes. for the purpose of detaining uh, people who are suspected of being in the uh, in the country illegally until such time as they have uh, been uh, through the, uh, the, 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 the process. Correct. How long does the process take from the time that a person is detained and assuming that they are to be deported, uh, what, what's the time frame that's involved in that? I wish I can tell you a specific time, but it will depend on many different factors. So uh, three weeks ago, there were um, some immigrants were detained, uh, one in Durant and, and two in Raleigh. And I knew two immigrants who, who are detained in Raleigh. So they were transferred to Kerry, which is uh, they have an, an office there. And they might spend a few hours, maybe five hours. And then they will transfer to uh, Alamans County and maybe two nights there. And eventually we'll get to uh, uh, Lumpkin, Georgia, which is Stewart, or Osceola, Georgia, which is Irwin Detention Center. Mm. So a long time. Long time. It can All be right. six months. Okay. Thank you. Our time is, is, is out. And uh, thank you all so very much for this uh, uh, this information for our community. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Sheriff Clarence Burkhead with the Durham County Sheriff Department and Ivan Alamonte, who is a Durham community activist and partner with Bull City Lawyer. We'd like to thank our listening audience for taking time out of your Sunday evening and spending with us. We hope you learned something from this show and we hope that this will encourage you to uh, get out into the community and to um, do what you can to support our immigrant community. This is an incredibly important issue and it does affect all of us. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.